0: Before Golfgate completely swamped all of our collective consciousness there was a lot of questions raised earlier this week around some of the perceived inconsistencies in the COVID-19 advice. Why was it the case that you could have indoor gatherings worth a certain number of people but yet the same number of people in certain circumstances can't gather outdoors and why is it that people are being told not to congregate and not to take public transport when we're about to face into the reopening of schools where children are going to be congregating and many of them are going to be using common transport. To discuss all of that and a little bit more about exactly where where the country now stands for COVID-19 and delighted to say we're joined by the president of Maynooth University and also the chair of the Irish Mathematical Epidemiological Modelling Group Professor Philip Nolan. Uh, Philip Nolan thank you very much for taking your call this lunchtime it's very good of you to uh, to give us some of your time because I know you're, you're very busy not least with everything trying to get Maynooth University open as well as everything to do with neffet. and um, can I start off just by asking about the schools issue because it was something we were talking about before the 12 o'clock news a lot of people will wonder why it's the case that we can have 30 children or more in some cases, all together at an indoor gathering with a teacher, when we're also being told that we shouldn't really have any indoor gatherings or any people gathering in a private home of more than six people. So why, why can we only have six in a home and 30 or more in a classroom?
1: Yeah, Gavin, first of all, let, let me just, there's two reasons, and I'm going to explore the two reasons, but just to acknowledge at the outset that this is understandably a, a very anxious time uh, for parents and, and teachers. Um, You know, we spent months living in fear of this virus, so now that we're uh, moving uh, to open up schools, which is a congregated setting, I I can really appreciate and empathise with with the anxiety. But I do want to emphasise there's two reasons why we can do this. First of all, the um, international evidence strongly suggests that we can successfully reopen schools. Uh, without getting significant spread of disease within the school or, or major outbreaks within schools. Uh, some will happen, but, but we we anticipate they'll be relatively rare. But the apparent contradiction that, that you outlined there you know, why only six in my house, but we can have 30 in the classroom? They're related. The whole thrust behind the measures announced last week is, is the virus needs opportunities to transmit. And if we as adults, severely limit our contacts uh, and strictly limit the contacts so that we don't provide opportunities for the virus to transmit, then we can allow children back into those larger congregated settings because the the kind of population-level opportunities for the virus to transmit remain reduced. So the virus doesn't care whether you're an adult or a child, it just tries to transmit into you and through you. Um, If if we all deprive the, the virus of the opportunity to transmit, Then the relatively um, smaller number of contacts at a whole population level means that the children don't provide the, the virus with much opportunity to transmit.
0: You're effectively saying that if, if adults are to cut back on their interactions and the possibility for the virus to transmit, that therefore we should be able to tolerate um, some of the perhaps increased transmission that we get from children. Is, is that Am I understanding that correctly or is that fair to say then that there is something of an acknowledgement that putting kids back into a schoolroom, albeit a calculated risk, is still a risk nonetheless? not
1: not really and i know i know it's very hard it's both hard to explain and hard to grasp but but the virus is in the population at very low levels mostly in adults and it's searching out opportunities to transmit on to the next person um and and what we're saying is if if adults are very careful by radically reducing their own contact to 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 reduce the chances of the virus transmitting that's that will restore a very low level of viral infection in the, in the community. And, and that means that, that allowing kids to contact each other um, doesn't really present much risk of transmission because, first of all, the kids are much less likely to have it. And secondly, even when they do congregate, they're much less likely to transmit it to each other. So it's not really a question of, kind of allowing children to carry the risk. It's a question of if adults radically reduce their contacts, they reduce the risk of exposure in children and reduce the risks of any contact that children
0: might have. So is it fair then to, to paraphrase that because it affects the two age cohorts differently, where children are less likely to have the symptoms and because they're asymptomatic they're less likely to transmit it, that in fact you can tolerate a slightly larger interaction of children and that it is the adults themselves who need to be a little bit more mindful about their interactions and their movements?
1: Yeah, particularly as I say, it's it's that action on the part of adults to be be very careful about their contacts and the risks of their contacts means that the adults are not carrying the virus and therefore the children that come into contact with those adults. I mean, there's there's a reality here. We are seeing cases in children, um, and in almost all cases, uh, they're being infected in the home. and, And that's nobody's fault. I mean, we have to come into intimate contact with our children in the home. Um, and, and also when we detect cases in schools, and, and we need to prepare ourselves for this, we will find teachers in schools who have become infected. We will find students in schools who have become infected. But more likely than not, neither of those contracted the disease in the school. Um, most likely they contacted it in their own household. So what we, the, the whole thrust behind the measures last week was to prevent transmission between households. This is where we're at with the disease right now. We're asking households not to mix because the risk at the moment is that the virus will spread through the population through households,
0: not through schools. But I suppose that the point that people will make to that is that even if the the virus transmits largely through adults, then if an adult may perhaps, you know, pass on the virus to their child, and even if the child still appears perfectly healthy and has a very low likelihood of passing it on, nonetheless, you're still sending 950,000 young people back into mass congregated settings this week. And if some of those kids have got the virus and are silent carriers, having got it from their parents or somewhere else, they're likely to give it to all the other kids that are in their pod or in their class bubble. So suddenly then one child who is a silent carrier then brings it to five others in their pod. Those five others bring it back to their household and they may give it to their parents. And so you still do have quite a significant prospect of the virus being passed on and and multiplying onwards, do you not?
1: Uh, Well, again, you would think so. Uh, so It's a perfectly reasonable uh, hypothesis to advance. Um, but the evidence doesn't bear that out. So, so the, the virus doesn't seem to transmit as easily as you're imagining in those contexts. So, let's start within the household. Uh, if 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 somebody in a household has it, the risk of other people in the household getting it is somewhere between one in three and one in five. So you don't you don't infect everybody in your household, even if you have it. So if a child goes into a classroom with with thirty people. That child is very unlikely, very, very unlikely indeed, to infect anywhere near 30 uh, kids in, the, in, in that classroom. I mean, they would all be tested if there, if there was one case, um, but it's very unlikely that, that the child is transmitting the disease to a large number of kids in that classroom. And, and also the probability of them transmitting within the classroom seems to be significantly lower uh, than adult-to-adult transmission in a similar congregated setting. Um, so so you wouldn't necessarily even infect all five uh, kids in your pod, never mind all 30 kids in the classroom. And particularly then also, I mean, I, I need to, it's important that we're sensitive to teachers uh, and the position that they're in. Um, so, so it is important uh, that teaching practice uh, changes, and I know teachers and principals have put huge amounts of effort into it. Uh, that the risk to teachers, Um, again, there's very little evidence for child-to-adult transmission in school settings, Uh, and and one of the reasons for that is uh, that teachers and schools are taking appropriate physical distancing precautions. It's an unusual form of teaching practice um, but nonetheless one that we're all going to have mm-hmm.
0: to get used to in, in the coming year um, n- Notwithstanding all of that and, and I take your point about how children are less likely to pass it on and that it's out it's of interactions that you believe we need to be more worried about rather yeah. than interactions between children uh, Nonetheless if you do a little bit of a deep dive into some of the figures that NEFET and the HPSC have been reporting over the last couple of weeks so take for example the age cohort of those between 5 and 14 um, yeah. in the last week we've had something like 66 cases diagnosed of people among that age cohort and in the pre previous week we had another 36 cases. So we've had over 100 cases of people who are of nominal school going age um, in the last couple of weeks. And that's at a time when they perhaps maybe they are congregating in ways that they're encouraged not to, but that they are still living slightly less interactive lives than they may be doing in a week's time. So even if things are much, much less likely to pass between them. There is still, is there not, a bit of a danger that when you start actively encouraging children to act in close confines, where you start putting them into the same school bus, where they're hanging out with the same people every day, that the virus might get around through those means?
1: Yeah, so I, 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 the numbers are correct, have uh, spot on about 100 cases, and that's an increase uh, over a, a period several months back. And, and the reason is simply this, uh, that, that we're now seeing outbreaks in households and extended families, uh, there's extensive testing in those settings and we're picking up the disease in, in children. You need to remember those 100 cases in a population of close to a million, but still a very rare disease in the community uh, in, in children. Um, so so I think we'll find what has been borne out by international experience um, that, yes, as we go back to school, of course we're going to detect cases in schools, uh, we may even detect, out, or likely to detect, some some small outbreaks in schools. But we really have a considerable amount of international evidence now that transmission within schools is not a significant driver as far as COVID-2 infection. We didn't know that in March. So, I mean, schools were closed because there was a reasonable expectation that this virus might behave like influenza virus mm-hmm. and transmit significantly in schools. Um, so, perfectly reasonable and safe thing to do. But but now there's a huge amount of international evidence, uh, some good evidence, some weaker evidence. But but there's a a strong sense that schools are not not a significant driver uh, of infection. Um, And and the place to exert caution is within our households um, to ensure that if the disease is in our households, I completely accept if a child has no symptoms and the adults have no symptoms, um, that child will go to school uh, with the virus. But if there are symptoms in the household, that's something we need to be very conscious of. Um, And and I take the point earlier um, that that means over the coming months that a significant number of households and employment sessions will be disrupted by people doing the responsible thing Mm -hmm. and staying home and keeping their kids home. But again, my my sense is that, that we will see cases and outbreaks in schools uh, but the numbers numbers will be low. I mean, there was a lot of attention on the Berlin situation. You know, over ninety percent of schools in Berlin are open. Um, and again, in in those cases that we saw in Berlin, mm. uh, there there is no evidence of within school transmission. All of those cases appear to have been acquired in the household with perhaps one or two exceptions that
0: are still under investigation. So even though there's been reports of there being dozens of clusters, albeit in a city of immense size, far bigger than yes. the population of Ireland, that, that you're fairly confident that those clusters arise from people who have actually got the virus outside of the school environment or maybe have got it from their parents and not from the school itself?
1: Yeah, and that that we know. And in a way, I want to, I'd want i ask us to be prepared for that, yeah, to go back to that there is this understandable anxiety. You know, we're, we're opening schools and they've been closed for months So I just want uh, to—we should prepare ourselves for the fact that we will see cases and outbreaks, and that we should not rush to judgment that the disease is spreading in schools. Uh, Much more likely, uh, what we're seeing here is, is is within household and between household transmission, which we know is going on now, being picked up in schools. And and remember that schools are really responsibly run, and that. Teachers and principals have extensive experience in looking after, as well as the education, health, safety and welfare um, um, of students. So, mm-hmm. so, so schools are a relatively safe environment, as well as all the benefits I was really taken by your panel's earlier discussion. Um, actually, the risk of keeping children out of school in terms of their not only their education, but their welfare, uh, mental health and safety, the risk of keeping kids out of school is very high and there's a very strong socioeconomic gradient. So so if we keep kids out of school for too long, we run a great, grave risk of damaging those children and in particular, disadvantaged sure.
0: children. Uh, th- there have been a few uh, texts and tweets coming in and, and a general thrust of them is, is maybe dissenting with your idea that children are less likely to spread the disease than adults. The CDC, for example, apparently one texter says, has said that there is no evidence that children pass the virus less effectively than adults. You, you don't believe that's the case?
1: But well, the, the evidence, the broad evidence doesn't bear that out. There's, a, there's, a, there's, an, there's an issue around absence of evidence. It's actually very difficult to prove at a viral transmission level how effectively different people transmit. So, so certainly kids have the virus um, in their respiratory tract at the same level as adults. And that evidence, the fact that they've got the virus, um, would lead you to believe that they'll transmit it. The very important thing, most kids get a very mild version of the disease, and many kids will be asymptomatic. It appears that people with mild or asymptomatic disease spread the virus less effectively. And that makes intuitive sense. If you're coughing and spluttering and sneezing, the droplets are spreading more widely than if you're not. Um, And and secondly, the epidemiological evidence, the fact that it is very hard, almost impossible, to find circumstances where kids infect other kids, or kids infect adults, um, uh, does suggest that even though kids have the virus, so, so there's a technical thing about saying, you know, we can't find the evidence that they're less effective, um, but we can't find any evidence that they are effective. Um, so it, it, it's a difficult one to detect,
0: but, but for so If it ultimately boils down to whether they're displaying the symptoms and whether they spread the virus by enacting those symptoms, and if they're not symptomatic and they're not coughing and spluttering in other people's faces, it's just less likely to get around.
1: Exactly. And the important thing to remember is that, that we're, we haven't seen many cases where we can say, ah, there, this is a circumstance where a child has been infected another child in the relatively controlled environment of the school. We can, uh, just clarify an earlier comment, mm-hmm. we can find cases where children have infected adults in households and children have infected other children in households. So, so, so household transmission within a family in particular, and we all know the intimacy, associated with family life on a very high level of close contact. In those circumstances, uh, we see child-to-child and child-to-adult transmission. Um, in school settings, uh, there, there is very limited evidence. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it will happen. Um, one of the reasons that we won't see much evidence of it is there hasn't been a whole lot of school activity internationally over the last six months. But there has been enough that if there was significant um, transmission of infection within the school setting, um, uh, we would see it. Okay. The formal documents are going to express it quite cautiously, um, uh, but but I think a, a risk assessment uh, would be would support the idea that it's
0: not a big risk Can I ask you just one other issue before I let you go obviously we've seen a significant spike in the number of cases that have been reported to the HPSC in the last couple of weeks and that is obviously Mm. arising from slightly more targeted testing in the wake of uh, meat plants or other food production facilities we haven't seen an analogous surge in the number of people being admitted to hospital but obviously these targeted Mm. tests are uncovering a lot of people who are asymptomatic but who are therefore Mm. much less likely to pass on the virus in any way at all And it leads some people to think that this is a bit of a hammer to crack a nut, that we have situations now where, although we are identifying more people than the virus, that if the virus is not injuring as many people, and if it's not actually as viral, if you like the word, as it originally was, that maybe there is no need to have some of the measures that we are. In fact, there's some people who are calling this now a a case-demic, because we're actively trying to hunt down cases, but that, in fact, the impact on hospitals is a lot less. What do you say to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, way back in March, we were hit by a massive wave of viral infection before we even knew what it was, um, and, and the disease was transmitting very quickly through the population. Now the growth is much slower. And you're right, these, these, these cases we're detecting that they're in a younger population, we're detecting the full spectrum of disease from mild to more severe. I'll say two things, though. These cases do spread the disease. And, and if we don't clamp down on them very firmly now, they will spread into vulnerable populations. So it's way too big a risk to say, that's fine. You know, no, nobody's been hospitalized. Nobody's dying right now. So we can let, we can let it uh, 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 grumble along, so to speak. Um, if that happens, it is inevitable that at some point in the coming weeks or months, it will get into a, a vulnerable setting or a vulnerable population. I mean, right now, we're seeing very little disease in older people because older people are continuing to be cautious and really protect themselves from the disease. So the objective here is these are not severe cases in people who have them, but with a large number of mild cases, you run a very significant risk of it spreading more widely in the population and
0: into in, into a vulnerable group. So is, is that to say then that, then that some of the reason why we haven't seen hospital admissions is because those who are most likely to be hospitalised are still taking all the precautions to stay out of society and therefore, to, unfortunately, they have to interact far less than anyone else? Absolutely.
1: So there's, 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 It's not quite cocooning, but, but uh, vulnerable people are taking all of the precautions that they need to take to radically reduce their risk of, of get of getting the virus. But the other thing that I would warn against is we still don't know the long term consequences of uh, of mild, moderate, and severe SARS CoV two infection. So so I I would not write off a mild infection as having no consequences, uh, and certainly moderate to severe infections in younger people. It really does look like, uh, in some cases at least, uh, that there's the risk of of at least uh, medium-term morbidity and and, and difficulty returning to normal life. So um, this is a disease to avoid. Um, Even if it doesn't require hospitalization and even if it doesn't kill you right now, um, there are concerning signs. Uh, that it it could leave you with with long-term damage. So we can't be casual um, about the fact that we're not seeing hospitalisation or mortality as we were in March. Um, The risk of spread is high and the risk of long-term consequences Mm -hmm. is unknown.
0: Okay, Uh, we'll leave it there. Professor Philip Nolan, the Chair of the Irish Mathematical Epidemiological Modelling Society, thanks very much for joining us this lunchtime on the record. Do appreciate some of your expertise on that.